0: Hi there, my name is Monica Kelly. My guest today is Chad Neesmith, known as Doc, three-time national champion blind golfer, the founder of A Vision in Darkness. It's good to have
1: you, Doc. Well, thank you very much. I appreciate it.
0: Tell me a little bit about you and your background. What caused you to lose your sight?
1: I was born with a condition known retinitis pigmentosa. Uh, You don't know that you have it until later in life. It can start showing up around eight or it can go as late as 45 or 50 years old. It's just where your retinas start dying and that means you start losing your peripheral vision and it's a nickname of it. It's called tunnel vision. So if you just kind of roll up a piece of paper or magazine and look down through it, that tunnel just gets more uh, narrow as the years go by. And it can take anywhere from 10 to 15 years to lose all your sight. And that's what happened to me. They found it when I was about 12 and probably lost all my sight around 27, 28. What
0: was that like for you?
1: Well, at the time when they found it at 12 or 13, you know, just starting to be a teenager, I played all sports, football, basketball, baseball. And that was kind of, you know, just to be honest, the only reason I went to school. Going to class is great, but I mean, I, you know, I went to school so I could play sports. And, you know, when they told me about it at first, it was, I was like, well, the vision's going to be, you know, I started taking some hits in football and that's what brought them to say, that, eh, he should have seen that coming and so on. And that's what started them looking into it. And for a teenager, you know, it was like, I'm going to deny that this is happening. If I don't talk about it, then it'll be fine. And as long as they still let me play my sports, I was okay. But about a year or so later, year and a half, they wouldn't let me play football anymore. The docs wouldn't let me on the field for dangerous reasons for myself and other players and then it started hitting and that's when depression started becoming a major part at 14 15 and it was painful it was not really scary at that point in time because again it you know a teenager gonna live forever nothing bothers you at this age and but you know depression by the time I was 16 I couldn't drive a car because I couldn't pass the uh, driver's test that's really your first big rite of passage you know as a teenager and back in the 80s for me was when I'd have been 16 and that was when it really became a social issue for me Really isolated me because again it was you know it was something I couldn't do and I uh, lived out in the country a little bit and so it was a lot of Friday and Saturday nights being alone in terms of you know with other peers and so it was very depressing for those first few years. What got you through those times? To be honest, you know I look back on it like everybody does in their lives as you get older and my biggest thing was if I would have been introduced to drugs and alcohol, I was a prime candidate to probably go that way. But I thank the Lord today that. Everything was, you know, God has a plan, and back then I didn't realize it, didn't care for it, but I had friends who didn't care about drinking and drugs, and, you know, we played board games, went bowling, you know, just hung out and watched movies and music, listened to that, and so really what got me through there during the teen years was just great friends. But, oh, I tell you what, if just circumstances would have been different, I I could have easily been one of those that would have loved the drug scene.
0: You could have taken your whole life in a different direction.
1: Totally, totally different direction if the Lord would not have put great friends and family in my life that kept me on the right track. And that just wasn't a part of our environment.
0: So what changed for you in your 20s besides your sight starting to really leave you? What changed for you?
1: The biggest thing was... When I I finally had to decide, you know, my mom just wouldn't let me give up. She never, you know, let me use it as an excuse. She expected me to go to school, go to college, and uh, pursue a degree. And the whole was what I was trying to do the best I could. As the vision got worse, you know, I'm now 20. 23 24 and now then not only depression but now then that anger's growing and you know for me everything got more difficult physically emotionally and and spiritually and I'll just be honest in the mid-20s what was changing for me was the anger getting worse it was all internalized and um, that internalization just it kept eating me alive you know I didn't tell anybody uh, and so again the depression was getting worse the anger was getting worse and you know the biggest thing that that changed for me was when um, I met my wife who we've now been married almost 27 Seven years. Her name's Patricia, and met her. knew within the first couple of dates that, from my point of view, that was the love of my life, and I was going to marry her. And we got married within six months of meeting each other. But she was very spiritual, and she brought me back to the fold. We were working one day out in her yard uh, before we got married, and she said, "You know, where do you stand with the Lord and and, and Jesus Christ?" And, um, excuse me, it's your Lord and your Savior, and and I said, uh, I, "I'm not. I haven't been there for a long time. I, and spiritually, I don't think about it much." And We were going to church um, for a long time, you know, teens and and early 20s. And and we just had a long talk that day. And, you know, thank the Lord um, she stayed with me and, um, you know, didn't make it a requirement for me to be where I needed, you know, where I had to be on her spiritual level. And, and, um, you know, everything uh, was just going well. But when she started having that conversation with me, things started becoming better. And then one night at a Franklin Graham crusade that she was working at – she asked me if I wanted to go, and I said no. And she was being one of their um, leaders that they teach before the big event, and I end up going just out of a fluke. End up getting saved, and when I go down to the floor that night, the guy that comes to see me because you know she couldn't help me because women help women at those crusades, and, and men go a witness and worship uh, help worship with the guys. And the guy that came up was completely blind was not even playing. So, um, you know, he lost his eyesight 10 years earlier. So it was, uh, that was a big change at around uh, 28 years old.
0: That is an incredible story. What a beautiful story. My guest today is Chad Neesmith, known as Doc, the founder of A Vision in Darkness. And I'm just curious, was it Billy Graham?
1: No, it was Franklin Graham. It was right after the Columbine shootings. So if you remember Columbine, he actually had some of the children. It was in Tuscaloosa, Alabama, where Pat and I, my wife, were working in our clinic, and that's where I got my doctorate, and it's where she has uh, she is working there because she got her doctorate from South Carolina. And uh, had only been there just a little bit working in an department that she started at the University of Alabama for special needs children. And it was the Franklin Graham crusade. And it was about maybe three or four months after the Columbine shooting. And they had Columbine kids there that night.
0: That's incredible. Speaking of Tuscaloosa, you attended the University of Alabama in Tuscaloosa and you earned a doctorate in counselor education. Tell me about your own private practice?
1: Well, what we did as I got through my master's level, then you're able to start seeing private clients. And I talked with my wife and she said, I think you need to do private practice. And I have a master's in special ed, And she said, I think you need to help special needs families. That's what you love. And Started seeing private clients, mainly specializing in families with children with learning disabilities, autism. Then we opened up to teenagers with eating disorders and rage issues. And um, she has a Ph.D. in special education. And so she, after working at the University of Alabama for a while then a headmaster of private school, she came on board and, that's when we really started the private practice and took it to another level in terms of helping families uh, for about 12 to 13 years with the clinic where that's all we worked on and focused on making sure that the families knew what to do for the children and that they were getting what they deserved. Make their lives as fulfilling as possible.
0: And how did you get involved with golf?
1: That was another one of those things that you know I got to my mid thirties, and so we've been married about nine years. And the big thing was was we'd work, uh, we'd work till six thirty, seven o'clock at night. Start at you know nine thirty, ten o'clock in the morning, and then go home, get some dinner. And, you know then go to bed and start the next day over again. And then it get to the weekends and you know, this is where I still, you know, the anger was better, uh, but the depression, the feeling of, you know, I'm, I'm missing out on something that the selfishness part of us where I was just like, you know, something's missing for me and, and I need something to replace it. And so I started talking with my wife and, you know, just really couldn't come up with anything to replace that competitiveness things that I thought that I got to miss out on in my teenage years. And, for not being able to play the sports that I wanted to play and love, which is mainly, you know, football. And she did some research without me knowing, and she came in one day and said, you're going to learn how to play golf. And I said, I'm going to learn to do what? She said, you're going to learn to play golf. And back in the 80s, I had, you know, with some friends every now and then that hit golf balls and stuff, and their dads and family belonged to Country Club. I mean, we didn't, but it was very expensive back in the 80s, and it just really wasn't considered that much of a challenging sport because Tiger Woods had not come on the scene yet. And golfers, if you remember Jack Nicklaus and the majority of them, they were not promoting workout (laughs) materials and workout exercise. And, you know, so I I picked up a club, I swung a ball. I even tried to go out with some friends every now and then and hit some balls, but never had any instruction um, really. And just really had no passion for it whatsoever. And, um, but when my wife said, let's go give it an hour, and I said, okay, I'll give it one hour with a local instructor in Tuscaloosa, and if they can prove to me that I'm not going to be a laughing stock uh, and a joke, then I'll give it a chance. The pro was just having me hit some just chip shots and just trying to get the feel. For at this point, I could see light, but could not see you know the ball, the ground, or the club behind the ball. So just having some chip shots and just hitting them 10, 20 yards. And about halfway through, about 30 minutes, I started hitting them solid the way he wanted them to sound. He'd hit two or three shots say, I want it to sound like this. And after 30 minutes, I was just hitting this little short shot and making the same sound. And I said, okay. And then, you know, we just kept working for a few weeks. I just fell in love with it uh, when I started hitting some, you know, solid shots. I love the challenge. I love being out there because my wife would take me out and, Drop me off and I got to go work with uh, people to be there to, that would volunteer. Sometimes I'd pay some high school student from the golf team or something or a college student that played on the golf team to go out and would hit balls together. And it just, it caught fire and just loved the sport from that moment forward. I was like, man, I can't believe how this is so challenging and difficult. It seemed to fulfill everything inside. And then when I found out you could compete in blind golf tournaments after i don't i've been playing golf for about 3 or 4 years so i'm almost in my right around 40 I was like, I want to become the best.
0: And so then you won the U.S. Blind Golf National Championship in 2016. What was that like?
1: Well, the, the first year, it was incredible. You know, it was, it was something I'd worked toward for, you know, a few years. And winning that was, for that next few months afterwards, was, again, I'm a, I am cry a lot. It, I'm very emotional. I try not to cry too much here during this, but I, it's just, I wear my emotions on my sleeve. And I remember getting that trophy and just, you know, going back to the table and just, you know, it took me 20 minutes to stop crying. It just felt really fulfilling. It felt great. Came back from Florida after winning that and just felt like I was on cloud nine. You know, everybody finding out about it at the golf course that I played at. and It felt good for months and months and months. And I was like, man, this is something I want to keep going forever and was able to win it in 2017 back to back. But the feeling this time only lasted about a month where I felt invincible, maybe less than a month. And you know, then that it was gone. And I said, "What in the world's going on?" And I said that to my wife, Patricia. She said, "Well, you know, this this whole thing, the whole time that I've heard you in 2016 for a year, and now 2017, it's all about how you did it. You you practiced hard, you worked hard, and it's I I I I I." And she said, "You know, there's a lot of other people that have helped you get here, and then also you're not doing anything." for anyone else. It's all about you. You you don't have any other reason in the world to be playing golf and succeeding and using it as a platform. And she says, you know, she's a straightforward shooter and she was right. I mean, I was mad at first that she brought it up. We kind of had some arguments over that a little bit, but she was right. This
0: woman is a very big gift in your life, I can tell.
1: Like I said, I knew after our third date that I wanted her to be my wife. Now, the problem was I didn't know what her opinion was. <laughs> <laughs> I, knew, I knew that I wanted her in mine. That was for, God has a plan, but you just never know. But, you know, 27 years later, that I would have made it without her.
0: What is a vision in darkness?
1: After the um, discussion with her and a few arguments, like I said, she said, we need to do this because wouldn't you have loved to have had a golf club in your hand when they told you you were going to be going blind? you know when you were 12 or 13 years old and i said oh my god i mean literally lord what kind of difference would that have made um you know that 15 years of struggle and and we all have our what ifs um but we started a vision in darkness and it's a 501c3 and it's where we go out and we use the game of golf to help build strength and character self-esteem and to give the blind children a chance to experience this sport at an age, you know, as early as seven, eight years old, all the way up to now we've expanded it to adults and veterans and with visual impairment and vision loss. And that's what a vision in darkness is. And uh, the name came from my mom and stepdad. They came up with it. So we call it AVID because of an avid golfer. And it just seemed to fit really well. They came up with that within minutes. After we told them what we wanted to do, and so again, God knows what He's doing, and um, you know, just feel He has me where I'm supposed to be, and trying to help as many as I can.
0: How many kids and adults do you serve altogether?
1: Right now, you know, COVID put a little damper, like it did on everything, unfortunately. But at the time we started the first golf team at the Tennessee School for the Deaf and Blind here in Nashville, we had 14 kids who had been playing for two or three years, and we actually had them play a match with the First Tee program, which is for sighted kids to have a chance and exposure to golf in low SES areas. And so it was the first time that really sighted kids and blind kids played together and partnered up together, and it was outstanding. And so now then with those children and then the adults, we're right around 28 to 30 right now are playing golf that were not playing golf before.
0: You and your wife, have you ever run into moments where you're thinking, how are we going to fund this organization?
1: We've run into it every time that a new person comes on board. And, you know, I look at my wife and I say, well, you know, we want to take the kids, you know, these eight or 10 kids The top golf's a great place to go. It's a fun environment for them, even though they can't see. You got the music and even though they can't see the target, they're like, how many points did they get? How many points? Did they get? And every time we run across that, we think, OK, we're going to have to choose what we can do somebody steps up the lord puts somebody that says hey we have never heard of this but this is exciting what can we do to help you you know and all of a sudden there's a 1000 dollar check in the mail you know and they say use it for whatever you can with the kids or for example top golf has helped us out with the children I, and i'm so thankful to top golf when we bring them there uh, how generous they are with showing the kids how important they are and treating them like they're kings and queens. And same thing happens at my club, Brentwood Country Club, where all of a sudden they'll say, Doc, what do you need? And, you know, I'll say, look, we need four pairs of shoes, you know, size 12, 13, 14 or something. And the next day they call and say, hey, Doc, come to Pro Shop. Somebody's donated the golf shoes. So we have never had to back up or prioritize. Um, My wife and I, again, and we're not wealthy uh, we're not poor, but we, there's no way we could fund all these adults with the clubs, you know their lessons, everything that goes into where they can become a better golfer if that's what they want to do without all these other people that have, that have come in. And, again, it's, it's a God. I call it God shots because without these God shots, again, we would have to prioritize. And every time we need something, we pray about it, and boom, we're giving it.
0: What has it been like for you since then?
1: Now then, I still work hard to be the best I can. Uh, in golf, but if I don't win now, it's not total devastation or total elation because it's not about winning or losing anymore. It's okay. Did I prepare? How did I show people? You know, how did I handle being blind when I go out and speak somewhere or I'm on a golf course? How am I handling and uh, how am I showing people what it's like to be blind, but also to not uh, to also what it's like just to be a golfer out on a golf course and not have to talk about being blind. So. Being able to help the kids now and adults, that's all I care about is a higher purpose. And the higher purpose is to leave a legacy of this game to to people who can't see, uh, who have visual impairments. And like I said, just being able to, to do that is just something every time I get a chance to speak or every time I get a chance to... I talk to a blind child or their parents and say, look, and I told the child, you may not like this, but why don't you give it a shot? You know, because golf is truly the only, there's other things, but really the only easy and accessible thing I can do and tee it up and play a sighted person and can beat them with the rules being identical and so forth. So I mean, I you can't do that in tennis. I'd have a heck of a time with that. You can't do a lot of other things against a side person, but golf raises my self-esteem and I tell these kids the same thing. I say, look, you know, give it a shot and boy once you hit one solid, once you get it in the air. I mean, you know it. You don't have to be able to see it to know that that was everything fell into place. They never cost them a dime. We get them all the clubs, we get them shirts, we get them whatever they want to do. And we keep them going. Is you know, if they just want to hit balls once a week, go to Top Golf once a month, or if they want to be, uh, you know, get to where they can be a tournament player, we're gonna. It never costs them a dime.
0: And so, I read about a young man named Malachi. What is your relationship like with him?
1: Well, Malachi is one of the ones that you know we've been doing this since 2017 with Avid, and he is actually the best athlete that I've ever come across who is blind and put a golf club in his hands at an early age. He was playing uh, basketball, soccer, tremendous athlete, and then Leapers disease got his eyes in just a matter of months. And his mom found out from a lady who saw an article or a video from the health department. They were going in getting their updates. She asked the nurse, and the nurse said, why don't you you know, check this website out and see if that works? So the mom contacted me, and we met. Uh, they're here in Nashville, Tennessee, and we met at the golf course, and. Malachi was quiet at first, and he comes from a very strong Christian family. His uh, grandfather is a pastor, and met him and the grandmother, and told him about golf. And I said, now "Look, it's it's not like basketball or soccer. This is, you know, you were naturally gifted to play those sports, and you were fast, you were strong. Golf is not that easy." I said, "Even if you were sighted today, it would not be that easy. It is the hardest sport I've ever played. The margin for error is minute." But I said it's one of the most fulfilling things in the world when you learn to control that ball and get it to go where you want it to go, and it's something that you can do for the rest of your life. It can be very social for you, and again, you know, if this is something you want to try, then then we'll do it. And he's now only been swinging for about four months. We're giving him lessons every week. Once they show a dedication, we get fitted clubs for him, and so he's got a set of fitted clubs and. And he is just a delight. He's he spiritually, uh, considering he just lost his vision five months ago, he's so far advanced emotionally and spiritually. Than I ever was at this age. When I lost mine, was told I was losing mine, and you know I, I kept my sight for a lot longer than he did. He's getting to where he can hit the ball with power. I mean, he wants to be the first blind person to ever play on the PGA Tour, and he's got so much athletic ability. And he's starting at such a young age. God may have the you know the next great golfer be Malachi.
0: I love it. He's only thirteen. Is that correct?
1: He just turned fourteen. We went to his uh, birthday party last week.
0: What is your website?
1: Our website is um, avid, avid.gov, G-O-L-F, golf. Avid.golf. Do you have a
0: brick-and-mortar
1: place? No, it, everything is our home address and stuff. But um, what we, you know, because everything I do is I meet them uh, at the golf course. We meet at Top Golf. You know, we meet and do clinics. We meet at the Tennessee School for the Deaf and Blind. So, no, we don't have a brick-and-mortar building. I still have a full-time job and so does my wife. And so this is our passion after hours
0: and do you take volunteers at the vision in darkness
1: yes because volunteers are the lifeblood of for blind golf like every player that in every tournament that i go to we have coaches and we don't call them caddies we call them coaches and they don't have to be certified PGA teaching professionals. Some people have their wife as their coach. Some have their brother, sister, father. And usually coaches, because we, we call them coaches because their first thing is they have to get us around a golf course safely. That's first and foremost. So they get us to the cart, to the ball, and then they have to be a good player themselves. And so they can tell us in a matter of seconds what kind of shot we're trying to hit. You know, the wind's out of the left, we're carrying a bunker on the right, What you know, we're 147, What you know, it's playing about 160, what kind of shot do you want to hit? So they are so much more, and that's why we call them caddies, because they are responsible, not only for our golf swing, but to make sure at the end of the day that when we finish 18 holes, we're as safe as can be.
0: Thank you so much, Doc, for being on the show today.
1: Thank you for having me, and everything that y'all do, the station is, is uplifting in a time right now when uh, we all need it.